thank you all for having us. What a joy it is to be with you today. This has been quite a process, I know, for the committee, the elders, and what a joy it is to come and share God's word with you this morning. From the onset, let me just say, if you would turn to two passages this morning, Jeremiah 9 and 1 Corinthians 1, uh, we will start in Jeremiah 9 and work to 1 Corinthians 1. So I guess what happens when you're a preaching elder candidate at a church and you can't decide which passage to preach from? Well, you go to two. You just do two of them. So we're going to do two passages today. Um, a little bit about my heartbeat this morning, as just prior to getting into the Word, is this. Uh, some say candidating, uh, or being a candidate for a preaching position, is sort of like uh, a dating relationship. They say that in books and whatnot. So I want to say this is kind of like that awkward, full, extended family greeting. So we're going to acknowledge the fact from the onset that this is probably a little awkward for you and me, all of us. And because of that, I want to acknowledge from the onset this morning that this is not a service about me. This is not a service about you. This is a service about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I cannot wait this morning to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and promote it to the top. Um, before we get into these passages this morning, though, I want to consider this topic. I'll try to advance it one more time here. There we go. We're in now. Um, this morning we're going to look at a simple topic and some powerful texts. We're going to look at this topic of transformed boasting. So in your mind probably right now you're thinking, wow, this guy, he could preach on anything. <laughs> if he's lucky, he gets to preach again next week. So he's going to talk about boasting? What's that guy's problem? <laughs> But I want to assure you of this, that there's a reason behind all of this. As we go through the text this morning, the last thing we're going to do, and I think you have a hand out there, is make a pastoral application that will highlight my passion as a pastor, as one that has the privilege every Sunday to preach God's holy word. And so we'll get there. So if you hang on with me for the next half hour, we're going to get there. But I want us to look at this topic this morning, transform boasting from these passages, starting with this amazing animal. What's your problem? You're showing us elk. You're supposed to be talking about God's word. Well, I'm going to say I've already had some phenomenal discussions with different hunters in this room. Um, we have talked elk, even this morning, Mike Glasper and I standing in there, we had to break away because we were already talking about his elk, his five by six that he got this morning, or this, this last fall. I'm going to tell you, this is one of my favorite of all of God's creations. All of his, the animal kingdom is this, this beast up here on the, the screen behind me. Uh, you're saying, why? Well, because I, I love how this animal is strong. I mean, a half-ton beast from God, it really lays dormant most of the year and kind of travels on its own, hides out, but then for about three to four weeks of the year, just yells out, <laughs> bugles, what we call it, bugles out and really in a performance of dominance, shows everything around it that this is the thing at the time. Um, I had the opportunity as a family. We were staying in a really neat place this fall and at a ranch and at someone's house. And um, one of my friends said, hey, Andrew, drive your, your car this way. And I, I love hunting in archery season, but taking the whole family in a car, this is not an, a common scenario. We took the family in a car and came up on 80 elk uh, in a field. And we were right next to them. And out in that field were five or six of these guys with all of their might bugling how amazing they were. 
And then they joust in a performance of, this is how awesome I am. I'm going to tell you, I have to sit there and just, just laugh because I think, that's, that's the temptation of my heart. <laughs> Maybe I stifle it for, for long periods of time in my life, but the temptation of my proud heart is to occasionally say, you know what, I'm all that. And I want to be honest with you, it's pro- I'm probably not the only one in this room that, that struggles with that. Occasionally in our lives, if we think about it, we do our best, by God's grace, to stifle this boasting. And, you know, we can't do that because that's not walking in the Spirit. We've got to kind of put the, put the top on that. Put it away. Put away the, the boasting in any way. And then occasionally it flares up and we put it away right away. Get it behind us. But this morning I want to take a, a kind of a different look at what the Bible says about boasting. And here's the main thought this morning that I really want us to to interact with. This, rather than simply eliminating boasting in our lives, the scripture is very clear that through Jesus, our boasting must be radically transformed. It's redirected. So in our lives we think, well, boasting, I just got to put that away. You know what the scripture says? Rather than put away this boasting, redirect it. So let's see that redirection in Jeremiah 9. You may be in Jeremiah 9 because I gave you a good 15 minutes to turn there. So let's look at Jeremiah 9 and see this redirection of boasting. Jeremiah, known as the lamenting or the weeping prophet, um, if you think back quickly in your Bible history, this is a time towards the tail end of the kings and Jeremiah addressing Judah prior to the exile, right in that transition to to God's just judgment, sending them in exile, this is the time that Jeremiah ministered. And he's addressing a group of people in Judah, God's people, who've been persuaded to embrace the world's perspective on who they were. Rather than embracing what God was saying about them, they were embracing what the world around them was saying. And what does Jeremiah, the lamenting prophet, say to this group of people in Judah? Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But, and here's the radical redirection of the boasting right here. But let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What do we have right here? Here's what we have. Rather than simply eliminating boasting, through Jesus our boasting must be radically transformed. What is Jeremiah saying here? Listen, it's not all about you. It's all about the fact that you have a relationship with the great creator and sustainer of all life. This is this passage in Jeremiah. We could spend a lot of time in this. Don't boast in man-centered wisdom or might or riches, but boast in the privilege of a relationship with God, that I am his and he is mine. We have something worth talking about. And this is what Jeremiah clearly says. What are we talking about? Well, this is transformed boasting. So, 
This is in the Old Testament. Where do we see this re-enter the discussions in that amazing book on your laps, the Bible? Where do we see it re-enter the discussion in the New Testament? Well, that's where I'd like us to go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're not there, it'll be up here on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul to the first century church. This is a church, again, similar to God's people in Judah that were tempted to embrace the world's perspective around them. This is Paul addressing them. And this church, the church in Corinth, tempted to embrace what the world was saying around them. They were now tempted to struggle with uh, divisions and, uh, honestly, moral chaos in that church. Um, to look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians and, and think in any way, how does Paul say, I thank God for you, blows my mind. <laughs> but this is the grace of the Apostle Paul, the grace of God seen through the Apostle Paul. This is amazing. But in this passage, where do we find this concept of redirected boasting, transformed boasting? Well, here it is in verse 26. Paul says, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. And some of your translations might say to nullify the things that are. And here's the purpose statement, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But he continues the thought in verse 30. If you'd read with me in verse 30, I guess I need to advance this. Here's the thought in verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. If you want to preface this verse with something, here it is. You've got something to boast about. What can you boast about? Believers and followers of Jesus in the new covenant, what do you have to boast about? Here it is right here. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Here it is. Quoting from Jeremiah 9, what does Paul say? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Again, rather than simply eliminating and stifling and putting that boasting away, what about the fact that we now have not a duty to boast in God, but an absolute privilege to, to make our God massive in the eyes of those we communicate with? This is this passage. <coughs> I want us to kind of dig in a little deeper, if we could, if we could for a couple minutes. Um, I want us to just simply look at two questions about this concept of transform, transformed boasting. You have the, we have, as, as followers of Jesus, not the duty, but the privilege now, the absolute privilege to boast about how big our God is through Jesus Christ. What are some questions that Paul answers in this, in this passage? Here's a couple of them. First of all, why should our boasting be transformed? And then we'll get to this in just a minute. How should it be transformed? He starts with this amazing concept. Why should our boasting be transformed? Why should it be redirected? So let's take this chopper and land it on this point for a couple minutes if we could. And we will spend a little bit more time on this particular point. But let's look, look with me again, if you would, <coughs> at verse 26. 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise. I think I'm having a hard time. Would you mind advancing that? Sorry, I think this thing's freezing up on me. There we go. Well, you can just pause right there. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise. And I want to highlight a, just a phrase here. According to worldly standards. So what's Paul doing? He's now, just like Jeremiah and Jeremiah 9, he's highlighting the way the world thinks. Let me show you the world's perspective on the gospel. Here it is. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. In verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. What is this? What's Paul doing? I love this. He's saying this, what the world values is status markers, and the world certainly does have status markers. What are we talking about? You are someone if, fill in the blank. This is what the world around us is saying every day. What does Paul say? These status markers, things that the world around us, the unregenerate man thinks are really, really cool and really special. These things, God flips them on their heads. I mean, if you look at the end there of verse 28, he nullifies them. He disarms them. Specifically, how does God disarm? Let's think about this. How does God disarm man-centered boasting? I'm going to tell you how he does it. You know. We all know. It is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. What does God use to dismantle all of these status markers that the world around us says, you're important, you're someone if you do this? What does God do to flip that on its head? He presents to us the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that for a minute. What does he say here? What is this? He chooses foolish things. There it is. He chooses foolish things to shame the wise. He chooses weak things to shame the mighty. He chooses lowly things to shame the noble. How does the gospel do this? So if the gospel flips this on its head, so that the, the world now looks at the gospel and says, man, that is foolish. I mean, why would they consider this as foolish? And I'll say, I mean, it, it's not that hard for us to talk about. Think about this, especially in this culture in Corinth. And I want us to park on this culture in Corinth for a minute. We can pretend that we are the congregation in Corinth with the struggles we have, the blessings we have. Here we are in Corinth. What was the culture around them saying? This is ultimately foolishness. Why? These people who would embrace all of these gods and goddesses of the Roman and Greek mythology, these people who realized all of this Greek mythology, all this Roman mythology, all of these gods had significance. Why? They were super strong in a certain way. They had special powers. Now think about this. Why would the world, the unregenerate world, think that the gospel was foolish? Think about this. The sovereign God of the universe takes his son, and he presents him into the world and puts him in a stable, a cave? Why would the God of this world, the sovereign God as you claim, Church of Corinth, why would they not place Jesus in the palaces? Instead, he's placed in a cave? And where was he laid? In a feeding trough? Who were the first worshipers of this Jesus, this offspring, this son of God? We're talking about lowly, smelly unprofessional shepherds that were from the fields. They were the first worshipers of this king. 
this offspring of God, this, this son of God now interacted in this world and he was trained by a lowly, humble carpenter man. What kind of a plan is that? I mean, think about this. He then came into his own. This man, this man Jesus, this God-man Jesus, as you claim, this culture of Corinth is saying, this God-man Jesus, as you claim, he now interacts with a group of people. And they were misfits, disciples. He chose rude dudes, I mean, tax collectors, and he chose fishermen. And these are the people he hung out with to promote his plan? Church of Corinth, that's foolish. And then think about this. This God that sent his son Jesus, he allowed him to suffer criticism. He allowed him to go to the greatest expression of humility in the Roman world, the cross. This cross he was humiliated on, and you did nothing about it at that point? This Jesus, the Son of God that you claim to be so strong, so powerful, suffered the greatest expression of weakness ever, death. How could this God be powerful? And there's a culture in Corinth that's looking at the church saying, that's utter foolishness. That is foolishness. But I want to assure you today, even in, I mean, if you flip up a couple pages on your device or, or a couple verses or turn over a page, you can see chapter 1, verse 18. We are assured by Paul that this is the view of the community. What, do they say? what does he say? For the word of the cross, or the preaching, the proclamation of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, brothers and sisters in Christ, it is God's power. The gospel is the power of Jesus Christ. Quickly, I want us to think about this. What are the main pillars? And, and this isn't something that just happened 2,000 years ago. What are the main pillars? If you wouldn't mind advancing, that would be great. We'll get there one of these days. There it is, right there. What are the main pillars of, um, of the world system? You are someone if this. Here's what it is. You are someone if you're wise. If you're intelligent beyond reason. If this reason makes you supreme, you are intelligent, you are someone. Here's another of these pillars that Paul brings out. If you are strong, if, if your strength and your athleticism brings you to a place of status, then you're superior, or superior status. Then if you are of noble birth, and along with this noble birth comes a bit of wealth. That's what was happening here, coordinating beautifully with Jeremiah 9. These are the status markers. Okay, so let's keep the chopper here on this thought of Corinth for a minute. Okay, what's happening in Corinth? Why were they tempted to think of this? I'll try to advance it one more here. There we go. Simply geographically, I want us to think of what happens here. This isn't a geography lesson, but it certainly makes an impact in my mind of what's happening to Corinth. Corinth was seated on this, it looks like an island, but it's actually not an island. It's called a peninsula. It's a body of land covered on three sides by water. And there's this little land bridge right next to Corinth that's called an isthmus. It's a, seriously, it's a, it's a land bridge. So anybody that wanted to come from mainland Greece onto the peninsula, a lot of them would travel right through Corinth. Why is this important? Because I want to highlight a couple things here. What was on the direct other side of the isthmus? This is a place in history, it's Athens. What do we know of Athens? You're somebody if you're smart. 
You're somebody if you can debate and you can reason. We see this in Acts 17 with Paul at Mars Hill. You're somebody if you can articulate an argument very well. All right, just very quickly, what do we find on the other side of the island? We find, or the peninsula, we find Olympia. What's happening at Olympia? We're talking about the Olympic Games, right? I mean, for all the way through this era, time of history, this is somewhere where every four years you would come together and in all the expression that you could have of your strength, you would prove to everyone how mighty you were. This is on the other side. If you want to think about this, what's south of Corinth? We have a place called Sparta. Even though in the first century AD, this was not a powerhouse town anymore because of the wars and that type of thing, there was still a reputation for Sparta. And what was the reputation? You're someone, if you come from noble blood, that's Sparta. So what do we have here? We have the three pillars, and I'm not going to dogmatically say that as Paul's writing this passage, he's clearly thinking of Athens and and of Olympia and Sparta, but I'm going to say this very possibly had a strong influence on these people in Corinth. You're someone from Athens if you're smart. You're someone from Olympia if you're strong. You're someone from Sparta if you have noble birth. And what does Paul say? All of those things, those status markers of the world, don't compare, brothers and sisters, in Jesus to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where he's going. Not only from their location and geography, but I just want to quickly, and I need to wrap this up, very quickly think about this. Not only geography in Corinth, but also the activities of Corinth. Every two years in Corinth, there was what's known as the Isthmian Games. The Isthmus, the land bridge, they would have Isthmian Games every two years. And in these games, you were somebody, if you can prove your dominance through strength, but unlike the games over in Olympia, these games also had opportunities to enter in as a great orator in poetry. And as historians would write, as you entered into Corinth around these times of the games, what would happen? You'd have people actually parading town, like flexing their muscles. (laughs) I'm somebody, look at me. And actually beyond that, you would have different ones on the street corners, standing there giving great uh, poetics and oratory promoting who they were, and people would gather around them, and they'd try to impress everybody, thinking, I'm somebody because you can listen to my speech. I'm going to tell you, this is the community, the culture that Paul is writing this in. You're somebody if you're strong. You're somebody if you're wise. You're somebody if you come from nobility. Quick question is this. Is this an issue today? (laughs) Absolutely. And it weasels its way so easily into the church of God. The world around us is saying, you're somebody if you're super smart. You're somebody if you're super strong. You're somebody if you come from wealth. So very quickly in this passage, we find that Paul says, your boasting is radically transformed because God takes the status markers of the world and puts them on its head. Now I want us to continue quickly through this passage. Not only... Does God radically transform this by, by disarming the priorities of the man-centered world around us, man-centered boasting, but also because God has empowered Christ-centered boasting? What am I talking about? Very quickly, not only did God disarm this side, he empowers the other side. Look with me, if you would, at verse 30. I love this. Because of him are you in Christ Jesus 
who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, let him boast in God. He's a big God. Very quickly, I just want to mention, what's Paul doing here? He's saying, don't boast in these status markers. Let me give you something to boast about. You can boast about something because God has provided these things. True wisdom in Christ. You now, through the Holy Spirit, have the opportunity to see from God's perspective. This is beautiful, body of Christ. Not only do you have true wisdom, you have an opportunity through Jesus to have a right standing before God in complete righteousness. When God the Father sees you, he no longer sees you in your, your wimpy little world standards things to boast about. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf. He sees you in the robes of Christ's righteousness. What else do we have to boast about? Sanctification. We have now a secure sanctification in Jesus Christ. What am I talking about there? We're talking about passed on holiness from God. That now he's made us positionally holy in him and he's driving us to the very end in holiness. It is a secure sanctification in God. What's the last one he mentions? Valuable redemption. If you want something to boast about? Here it is. You have been bought from the slave market of Satan. <laughs> you want to be excited about something? Brothers and sisters in Jesus, God gave his son to buy you. <laughs> we have something to boast about. Paul says this. I, I couldn't help as I was working through this. My mind kept jumping back to something David says in Psalm 40. If I could read this. In Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3, here's what David says. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. And here's what he did. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will see it and fear and put their trust in God. What do we have here? Jeremiah 9, 1 Corinthians 1, we have redirected boasting. I want to quickly end with this, though. How does this happen? Okay, okay, that was cool. Look at the history. Look at the geography. How do I practically redirect my boasting? I want to say I believe Paul answers that question very clearly in verses 1 through 5 of 1 Corinthians 2. So if you look with me at verses 1 through 5 of 1 Corinthians 2, I have it on the screen up there. Paul says this, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you, Paul says, in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of God's spirit and of power. And here's the purpose statement. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So how do we do this? How do we redirect our boasting now to God? Here's how we do it. First of all, we speak clearly of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talk of it often. We talk of it clearly, that we are sinners saved by God's grace. This is the foundation that everything of everything we do in the body of Christ. I like to look at it this way. This is the hub from which all of the spokes rotate. It is the glorious gospel and grace of Jesus Christ. 
So not only do we speak clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ, we speak confidently with the power of God. Uh, there's so much to say about this when it re- is in regards to the Holy Spirit of God driving us to the Word of God. The power of God seen in the Word in the Scriptures. I want to say this, though. I mean, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, great. Okay, so I can never talk about myself anymore, ever. <laughs> I would say, in a, in a moment of pastoral clarification, that's not what this passage is saying. The passage here is not saying that Paul only had one thing ever he talked to the church of Corinth with, and that is Jesus and the gospel. Clearly, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 dealt with numerous issues in the church. But what is Paul saying? Paul is saying clearly the foundation of all of our discussion is not how you feel or how you feel, what preference you embrace, what opinion you have on the matter, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our foundation. This is the base from which all are built. When we think about not talking of ourselves, I think, I want to hear from you. <laughs> Just in a practical way. I, I have enjoyed the last couple of days getting to know this body of believers. It, just meeting you around the campus here and in and, and, and Pam's home the other night. What a blast we had. I hope you talk of yourselves. I hope you share stories of your hobbies and your fishing and your hunting and your favorite sports team, unless it's the New England Patriots. Please don't mention that. <laughs> we can talk often of these things. But I'm going to tell you, what is the common understanding of all of us that anything good that's ever happened to us is only by the grace and mercy of Almighty God? God is gracious to us. God has loved us. God loved us first and sent his son to save our souls rather than simply stifling our boasting. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the word of God and the grace of God, our boasting can be radically transformed. So what? Um, Anytime we come to an end of a time in the word, I like to ask this question directly. So what? We've talked for 35 minutes now. on on the word of God, and I shared some different things. How is this going to change our lives when we walk out those doors? How is it going to be different? In our congregation out in Colorado, we specifically pray every Sunday morning, God, let us not walk out the doors the same way we walked in because you're growing us. You're growing us by your grace. So here's the so what. I, I would like to propose another question. By grace, will we, at Cross Point Community Church, Will we clearly speak of God rescuing us? Unmistakably that we are thankful to God for his work of grace in our lives. Much more could be said about this, but we don't do this in an offensive, proud, annoying way, but in a gracious, kind way, exemplifying the humility of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Will we talk clearly of the gospel from youngest to oldest, there's teens sitting here this, this morning, in your schools, on your sports teams, do you talk clearly of how Jesus saved your soul? How you have been loved by the God who created and sustains all life? By grace will we clearly boast in God for rescuing us. And here's another quick question, I won't go into this this morning, but I'll give you a passage to look at later this week. You got homework this week. <laughs> So you're going to go to Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, and you're going to see this verse highlighted. Same word in the Greek language. The word for boast in this passage is the word rejoice. What rocks this boat 
of boasting in the Lord. I'm going to tell you what rocks this boat. It's what we call trials. The world around us sees trials in your life, and they say, your God's not worth it. Paul answers that question in Romans 5, and he says, yes, you do. Why? Because God is holding you through these trials. He's sustaining you. He's carrying you through these trials. We have something to boast about because God clearly has rescued us and God clearly is sustaining us. Rather than simply eliminating boasting through Jesus, our boasting must be radically transformed. If I could just take a moment and just share my heart as a pastoral candidate here, preaching elder candidate, of the things, all the things I could have shared today. There was a lot of things I was thinking and praying through. God would not allow me to come away from this passage. This is the one to speak. Why? Because I want to say that this passage clearly resounds my passion and objective in pastoral ministry. My goal is Paul's here, that my speech and my message would not be consumed with plausible words of, of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power. I would be a preaching elder who shepherds God's people with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ so that our faith body of Christ would, would not rest in man's wisdom but in the power of Almighty God. I want to constantly live out Paul's words in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, but God forbid that I would boast in anything but the glorious gospel, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Brothers and sisters at Cross Point Community Church, I want you to know that my stake has claimed this passage. I thank God, I truly do, for educational opportunities God's given me, and athletic accomplishments. I praise God for the, the upbringing God's given me, but I'm going to tell you, none of those things compare to what God has done in my life through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He saved my wretched soul. My prayer is, oh God, let me not be consumed with the worth of the world and the value the world places on me, but let me be consumed with the grace of my Savior. Oh God, let me clearly speak of the gospel and let me confidently speak with your power. Oh God, light me on fire and let me burn for your glory, not my own. And let us all pray that. I've been meditating through the scriptures and also a song recently called The Cause of Christ. And I love the intro to this song and the outro to this song. Here it says this, The only thing I want in life is to be known for loving Christ, to build his church, to love his bride, and make his name known far and wide. It is not fame that I desire, nor stature in my brother's eyes. I pray it said about my life that I live more to build your name than mine. So God, that's the prayer of our hearts. I thank you for this passage we can look at today. You've given us something worth talking about. You've changed our hearts, you've changed our lives. And oh God, I pray that we would live by this. God, I thank you for every single person in the body of Christ here this morning, and I pray that you would consume us this week with this thought. It is not about me, it's about you. This morning with your heads bowed, maybe your eyes closed, or however you want us to pray, sitting there or standing there, would you take a moment with me and do a couple things? First of all, would you thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ? We could not have relationship with God without the cross of Jesus Christ.
would you then pray with me a prayer of gratitude to God for the fact that, yes, the foolishness is in the cross in the world's eyes, but what shatters that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is not dead, he is risen. Would you thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new life we have in Christ? Then with me, would you pray this morning that you would boast in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ this week. Yes, that you would talk about what God's doing in your life and your hobbies and those type things, but that you would saturate everything that comes out of your mouth with an understanding that anything good that happens to me is only by God's grace and glory. So God, this morning we thank you for the beauty of the cross the ugliness of the cross and the beauty of the cross. We thank you for the dynamic power of the resurrection and I pray God that this week take this message and we would live out the name of this church and point others to the cross. That this truly would be a cross point community church and how we interact in all ways. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.